0: University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts. Hey, thank you for your service listeners. It's Thomas Krasnation. And Nick Pareso. We're out here at the University of Chicago, standing outside the main library, trying to go up to people, get
1: their thoughts on the military and civil-military relations. But mainly, I'm more concerned because it's rainy and cold out and sub 40 degrees. So we're trying to do this as fast as possible.
0: And it's also the middle and midterms. Which, which doesn't
1: help. Hello. We're, we're producing a podcast. We're wondering if you have three minutes for an informal survey. On uh, what aspect? On the U.S. military. Sure. Yeah? Okay. How much confidence would you say you have in the military? None at all, not too much, fair amount, or a great deal? U.S. military? U.S. military. In what aspect? Uh, just your trust in, in them as an institution.
2: Well, I think that them currently defending the U.S. mainland and also the U.S. foreign territories are capable.
1: Okay. Uh, do you know anybody in the U.S. military? No. Okay. Uh, what kind of people do you think join the military? Well, first of all, I know that the
2: uh, because of the GI Bill, the military does provide a way for those retired soldiers to join the university or have, gain better education.
1: Yeah. But, but definitely, you think, um, like, well, economic opportunity, education... Yes, like is one way is economic and,
2: uh, and, like, also education opportunities, and another is perhaps uh, just per interest and such, yeah. Okay.
1: Um, could you describe the difference between an officer and an enlisted person in the military? Do you know that? No,
2: I think maybe kind of what you call, see the ranks on their uh, shoulders and such, for example.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, which branch of government is responsible for setting military policy?
2: Uh, I guess... Executive, perhaps. Okay. I know that historically uh, is in like nineteen forty six Truman like banned the segregation in military. Maybe so. Maybe the executive. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, and where does your knowledge about the military come from?
2: Well, I'm just generally interested in like war and military and such, and history and such. So. Yeah, also global politics, I okay. mean, yeah.
1: So like news and academic research, yes, you'd say. yeah. Okay, uh, and last question. I have here uh, a sheet of paper with the five branches of the military on it. If you could pick one for me and kind of describe its purposes and responsibilities.
2: Okay, um, uh, sure. So uh, let me guess, I don't know. I mean, I, I got some brief knowledge of a bit of everything, I guess. Okay. So, I um, for example, I mean, Navy is mostly... So, like ensuring the. US interest in like for uh, in, like in foreign bases and like other continents and such I guess
1: yeah okay great yeah. thanks so much. Thank we you really so much for your time. Yeah. this this for uh, So we host a podcast on campus. Okay. It's about the relationship between the military and American civilian society okay. and trying to inform students more about uh, the connection between the two yeah. Thanks well, so thank much. podcast call. Thank, thank you, you for your, for your service.
2: service.
3: But under orders from the Secretary of Defense, women can now try out for all combat jobs in all
0: services. We
2: turn now to what some military officials call an enduring and pressing
0: emergency. the rise in veteran suicides. But more than a dozen current and former cadets
4: have told CBS News they reported their sexual assaults to the Air Force Academy only to
1: then experience retaliation. Don't ask, don't tell is history, but there's still plenty to talk about. Welcome back to Thank You for Your Service, a hard look at American civil military affairs from the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts. This is Season 2. I'm Nick Paraiso.
0: And I'm Thomas Krasnation. We're really excited to be back, producing and releasing new episodes here at the Harris School of Public Policy. Nick and I have just started the second year of our master's degree program here at Harris, and we have about five months left before heading back to the Navy full-time. Nick, uh, why don't you tell our listeners where you're headed after this?
1: Right, so once I wrap up here in March, I'll be heading to a destroyer. Right now, it's stationed out of Mayport, Florida. And what's next for you, Thomas?
0: Um, After this, in March, I will be heading to nuclear power school in Charleston. And if I make it through that, then I'll be going to a submarine somewhere in the world.
1: Cool. So before we get any further, we should note that for this episode and for the rest of the season... Even though we're both in the Navy, the Thank You for Your Service podcast is just part of our academic pursuits here in grad school and does not necessarily reflect the official positions of the Department of Defense or the U.S. government. So with season
0: one of this podcast, we were trying to learn about some of the basics of civil-military relations. We talked with a wide range of guests about concepts like civilian control of the military, the politicization of the military, and military decision making in the highest levels of government. That's why we tried to bring in guests who have served at those high levels, retired four stars like Admiral Mullen and General McChrystal, and former civilian public servants like Senator McCaskill, Michelle Flournoy, and David Axelrod. Ultimately, we tried to close the civil military divide by showing how important it is for civilians, especially future policymakers like our classmates here at the Harris School, to be invested in one of the most central institutions of American society, their military.
1: With Season 2, we're still focused on addressing that civil-military gap, but we're taking a different approach. We want to really dig into the specific ways that the military interacts with American society. We're going to talk about social issues and social change in the U.S. and how that relates to the armed services. Things like race, gender, and LGBT issues. We're going to talk about recruitment, Who joins the military and why? We're going to talk about some of the military-related topics we often see covered in the news. What can be done to address sexual assault in the military? Or the mental health crisis among service members and veterans? And we'll talk about the transition from military to civilian life. How do veterans add value to their communities once they leave the armed services? Some of these are issues people have a knee-jerk reaction to, or hold deeply ingrained stereotypes about. We're hoping to provide more context to these discussions so they get the focused, rigorous, and analytic examination they deserve.
0: Another thing we'd like to note, while most of our episodes in season one were centered on interviews with policymakers, we're gonna be trying some new things in these upcoming episodes.
1: Uh, How much confidence would you say you have in the US military? Not at all, not too much, fair amount, great deal. Confidence to do what? Just confidence in general, like your confidence in the military
0: like your trust in them as an institution. I'm confident that they can defend the United States. I'd say I have a lot of confidence in the US military.
1: We began this episode walking around on the University of Chicago campus, talking to students to get their impression of the armed forces. We were interested in finding out what they know and what some of their opinions are about the US military. How much confidence would you say you have in the US military? None at all, not too much fair amount, great deal.
5: Uh, I guess i say not too much. Why do you say that? Because I'm suspicious of the military as like a general concept, like why have one?
1: Oh, I think it's okay. Okay. Why do you say that?
3: It's, a, it's, it's the strongest army standing on the earth. Yeah. And power might
2: makes right. Great deal. Uh, why do you say that? Um, because the U.S. government spends a ton of money on them.
1: Okay.
6: Uh, a fair amount. Why do you say that? Uh, I feel like we spend a lot of money on our military, and so I would hope that, would, I don't
1: know, <laughs> that it would be good. That that money's put to good use? Yeah,
6: yeah. Although, I, I guess, like, realistically speaking, I, I know that a lot of that money is actually not put to good use, but I, I do think we spend a lot on our military. Fair
4: amount. Fair amount. Why yeah. do you say that? A lot of money is going
1: towards the yeah. military. <laughs> yeah, funding. Yeah, so you <laughs> feel like good. the money is at least being put to good use? Or the, at least know. there's a lot of money to work with.
4: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of money to work with. Okay, do you know anybody exactly.
5: in the military? Mm yes. Well, I know a few people from high school who are like, training to be in the military, Is that Good. like,
1: counts. What branch are they in? Do you know? No idea. Okay. <laughs> do you know anybody in the military? Yes, apparently a lot.
3: Because I went to a uh, U.S. high school, so... Okay. So uh, some of my friend's parents are in the U.S. military. What do they do? Do you know? Um, some of them are doctors for the Marines, and some of them are... Like, I don't know, like, just like, like, lieutenants?
2: Not currently in the military, okay.
1: no. any, uh, any veterans?
2: Uh, my granddad is a U.S. military veteran. What did he do? Um, he was an
0: infantryman in World War II.
4: Yes, my friend's dad. Okay, what did he do? Um, he's the, he's a general, I think. General Brigadier John, Johnson, yeah, our okay. friend's dad from high school. What branch? Do you know? No, no, I just know he was stationed in Afghanistan.
6: Okay. I do, yes.
1: Okay, uh, and what did they do? Um, what do you mean? Uh, like what branch they're in, what their job entails, um, if you know So
6: that. I, know, I know a couple of people who go to West Point who are not currently in the military, but I I believe that they will be going into the Army, but um, those are the only people who I know who are like
1: military people. Okay, okay. you knew them from, from high school? Yes. Okay, do you know why they decided to go to West Point?
6: Um. I think that... Okay, honestly, I think one of them didn't really want to, her parents kind of wanted her to. But the other one, um, I think is like, she's very like patriotic and um, and also I think West Point offers like a, a like a really good deal in a sense because mm-hmm. you get like basically a free education that's also really good.
1: Um, so yeah. What kinds of people in general do you think join the military?
0: People, sometimes people with pressure to like, you know, a lot of friends, friend of two, one friend of mine definitely joined because he needed like money, like he didn't know what to do after high school so he joined in the hopes to like eventually go to, to college and have that paid for. I think it also attracts a lot of young men who are eager for responsibility in life and they're seeking structure and, the, and they want to, in a way, turn things around yeah. when they're around 20 years old so they go to the military to seek that structure and that responsibility and it really seems to help some guys out.
1: What kind of people do you think join the military?
5: Just like normal people, to be honest. I think for some people in my high school, it was like it was like, if college wasn't the thing you were going to do next and you didn't have like a specific career idea, it was like sort of, it's sort of like another space to like enter into as you like finish one phase of your life.
2: could be service, could be money, could be to make a difference in the country.
1: What kind of people do you think joined the military?
3: Some aspired, some brainwashed, some, some I, want to protect their countries some believed what they are fighting for and some just need the money to go to college.
0: Uh, reasons for joining could be, um, one of them could be you don't have many other options, one of them could be patriotism, um, those are probably the two main
1: ones I'd say. Okay.
6: Um, I'm not sure, probably people who are very patriotic. Okay. And yeah.
1: Do you think patriotism is that like main reason for joining or do you know of any other reasons people might join?
6: Um, I would assume that that would have to be like one of the reasons, because you are like putting your life on the line for like America. Um, also, I guess like uh, I I do know that the the military sometimes recruits like lower income people because um, it is like it is sometimes like a, a better option than whatever they might otherwise have.
5: People who love the country. Okay.
4: Yeah, people who just want to serve. I Do you know think. any
1: other reasons people might want to join the military? To
5: pay for college, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> <that too>. Educational <laughs> opportunity?
1: Educational, yeah. yeah.
4: Like ROTC programs and stuff.
1: Okay. Uh, does the military serve the President or the Constitution? Um, I'd say the Constitution. Does the military serve the President or the Constitution?
6: Um, I think it should serve the Constitution.
1: Okay. You said it should serve. Do you think it's different from what the reality is?
6: Uh, yeah, I think sometimes, like, I mean, ultimately, they're getting their orders from, like, people like the president, so, um, uh, yeah, so sometimes they might not be truly serving the Constitution.
7: Well, technically, it's the president, I think, because he's the commander-in-chief, but it would depend on what the person believes, I guess.
4: Okay. I don't know. Okay. But isn't the
6: president like the
4: jackass? Yeah. Isn't he like the one like the who pushes the button? The button? Yeah. But if, I don't know. The commander-in-chief or
1: something?
0: Yeah. Should serve the constitution, also serves the president. They should uphold the constitution, I think, but I think they serve the president because he's the commander-in-chief. Okay.
1: Uh, what branch of government is responsible for setting military policy?
0: That's a good question. Executive, right? <laughs> right? <I> mean, <laughs>
1: I don't know I, it's multi- I would think it's multifaceted. okay uh, and what branch of government is responsible for setting military policy
7: mm. like what
1: uh like like deciding uh, like where we're going to deploy troops and how are they going to be oh. used
7: doesn't the president choose and then the congress has to like confirm it or something i think okay. i don't know
1: um
2: i don't know um i'm gonna go with I want to say judiciary, but I feel like it's executive. Executive.
1: Okay.
4: I should know this from U.S. history. Executive? I don't know. Yeah, executive. Exactly. Or legislative. Legis- or, legis- or
3: judicial. <laughs> All three. <laughs> what do you mean by military policy? The Department of Defense.
1: Okay. Uh, and uh, I'm not too familiar with U.S. government stuff. Okay. I have here a sheet of paper with the five branches of the military on it. If you could pick one for me and kind of describe its purposes and responsibilities.
6: Um, the Navy is responsible for like sea warfare, like warfare
5: and water. Yeah, and okay. then
1: armies like for land, yeah. I believe. Uh, and if you could maybe pick one of these and describe what you think they do.
5: Oh, was, this was the question, because I always think like, what the f- is the difference between the Navy, the Marines, and the Coast Guard? Like, aren't those all like, at sea? Because <laughs> I know like, there's some people at sea, and there's some people at land. Air Force obviously flies planes. Okay. Um, yeah, they probably drop bombs on people, would be a guess. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> um. Air Force. Um, purpose... I mean... I assume kind of being that uh being like the ones who actually do the traveling, kind of do the flying spying, I don't
3: know okay, great so, yeah. yeah
2: um I'd say the marines are is the section of the military if there's conflict somewhere the u s is deciding involved in they're probably the
0: first ones to go in
6: mm, Marines are like the audition military, oh my god, <laughs> I sound like a theater kid, but like, you have to like, um, it's like more like, I don't know, not exclusive, okay, yeah, you have to like try out, it's like harder to get into, really? um, and they're just, yeah, so they, I think they have like a presence and
1: kind of a prestige about them. Yeah, yeah, like a,
7: yeah. I think the Air Force, whenever we're in a fight, they fly the planes, and they're in charge of like the air combat, and maybe... They shoot
1: down. Uh, And last question: Where does your knowledge about the military come from? News, movies, friends, family. I'd
0: say all of those. Yeah,
1: yeah. Tim. And where does your knowledge about the military come from? News, (laughs) websites, whatever. Just
7: government.
4: The class. Government class. Yeah. Okay. Like friends. Friends. Like my parent Like my friends' parents. Just like what she's told me about her dad, and also like. A little bit of U.S. history class, TV. But yeah, and TV. TV,
1: like the news. Okay, so school and what you see on screen. Yeah.
4: All right. Well, hey, thank all. you so
3: much. We you. Really Wait, do it. I sound like one of those kids who are? Uh, so where's where's North Korea? Point to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I so, do I sound like one no, of those? No, no,
0: no, no, you sound very. Well. So everyone we talked to had different backgrounds and different points of view, but it did seem like there were some commonalities in their answers. Nick, what would you say you took away from the students' answers about why people join the military?
1: Well, first, they all had a pretty uniform perception of who joins the military. It's an archetype of someone who's patriotic, but has few opportunities in life. Uh, in their eyes, people who join the military are usually low or middle income, and they need better economic options. Some students talked about the young men who joined the military, so it sounded like there was an assumption that most people who join the service are guys.
0: It didn't really seem like very many people knew anyone in the military either.
1: Right. Many students we talked to didn't know anybody currently in the military. A few knew a veteran. A few had relatives serve. Two students had a high school classmate attend West Point. But many of them didn't personally know anybody who was actively serving.
0: And what would you say about the students' answers to some of your knowledge-based questions about the military and military policy?
1: Well, to that, there's a tremendous lack of knowledge out there about what the military does people had a hard time discerning the different purposes and mission sets of the five branches. They didn't know which parts of government set different aspects of military policy, and they were unsure of the military's relationship to the president and to the constitution. When we asked them where they got their knowledge about the military, only one or two of them said they'd ever learned about it in school.
0: So, a really interesting side note. Chicago has a large population of international students, and we talked to two students from China during these interviews. Both of them gave the same response to one of our questions.
1: Does the military serve the president or the U.S. Constitution?
2: Well, I only know the, I think the Marine only serves the president. And the other troops are like. I need to, I need to listen to the Congress, yeah. Or okay. like the, the Constitution, I guess.
1: Uh, and does the U.S. military serve the president or the Constitution or both? Marines serve the presidents. U.S. military
3: serves the Constitution. Nation. Okay.
1: We're really curious about this, and unfortunately we let our interviewees get away before we made the connection. So if any of our listeners out there have any idea why these students answered this way, please let us know.
0: Obviously, as Corey Shockey told us in our very first podcast interview,
1: the, the plural, plural of anecdote,
8: anecdote is not data.
0: The group of students we talked to was definitely not representative of American society in general. But these brief conversations with students did give us an interesting ground-level look at civil-military relations here in Hyde Park, especially in the minds of people our age. We'll try to bring you more of these discussions in future episodes.
1: For the rest of the episode, we'll be focusing on reasons for why people join the military. Part two of this topic will cover military demographics. As we began planning these episodes, we knew exactly who to call.
8: I'm Emma Moore. I work as a research associate for Center for American Security. My specific interests are military recruitment, you know, that relationship that the military has with society from a consumption standpoint. You know, where people learn about the military, as well as women in integration and um, physical fitness, to see what we mean by lethality and readiness.
0: Emma is one of the civil-military relations scholars that Nick and I really look up to. She helped us quite a bit with some of our interview prep last season, especially for our episode on Hollywood and media stereotypes about the military.
1: Emma explained to us the realities of enlistment and recruiting. For one, she pointed out how the stereotype of military recruitment, exclusively coming from low-income populations, doesn't actually measure up to reality
8: we've seen a lot uh of these misconceptions play out and my boss kayla williams did a great rundown and has tested this in different um settings saying what are the national security assumptions about military service even as they uh people who are working with the military kind of day in and day out and on policy issues that are that affect the military um you know the low income as a reason to join the military is not always seem to play out in in practice and partially it's because of military standards there are correlations between education attainment and being lower income so because you have to have a high school degree in order to join the military that actually means that sometimes lower income individuals aren't um do not have a qualification so we see lower representation in the military amongst the lowest and the highest quintile of socioeconomic status, and the biggest representation in the middle third.
0: Emma highlighted the reasons for enlisting that are better backed by empirical data.
8: I think as a nation, we would like people to join because they have a sense of, you know, they have this selfless service or they have a desire to serve the nation. But turns out the real things that People actually need to think about like money for college, having um, a meaningful career, but also having opportunity are really the big reasons. So paying for a future education is like one of the biggest reasons people say they would be interested in in serving in the military. And yet there's this desire, I think, not to advertise that because they. A lot of uh, you know. It seems like military marketing doesn't want to be transactional about why people are joining, but clearly that's that's a priority for everyone. Um, you know, travel and and good compensation are other reasons people join. Rand has put out some research on why people join. You know, there is a there's a difference between people who have elected into combat arms, and that's shown that they find excitement and uh, a different kind of experience in those jobs than they might in any other career. But there's a different sector that of people who might have gone into combat support who say, I'm going to be a mechanic because this is transferable skills and I'll be able to be employed afterwards. So I don't think it's wrong to say serve your country, you know, find glory perhaps, but that's not the only narrative to hit.
0: As Emma pointed out, because of those educational requirements, the majority of people joining the military do not come from low-income backgrounds. But once people do join, the military can be a gateway to pursuing higher education and job opportunities.
1: And the military is taking note of this. Increasingly, recruiting efforts are focused on highlighting the future job opportunities that the military offers.
8: The, the best ads I've seen have been really trying to address influencers who aren't necessarily necessarily service personnel themselves. And that's, uh, there's a good one I think the Navy put out a year or so ago. And, and again, recently of, you know, uh, a young woman saying, I want to do cyber in the military because I find that it's the most fulfilling. It's the most interesting. I'm dealing with real world threats every day. And that was directly, um, to speak to mothers, for example, I think the, the military has fallen short on, and the Army in particular, on relying on combat arms images and, and rhetoric as a recruitment method. Those are people who are already interested and have propensity to serve and don't necessarily need to be convinced to get across the finish line. It's really the, that kind of middle area of people who might have thought about it but might not be willing to take us the step that need to be addressed more directly. Mm-hmm. I think definitely the military should be focusing on jobs that it doesn't primarily highlight as military jobs. The fact that you can be a veterinarian, you can be you know, a mechanic, you can be a public affairs officer, psychological operations, these are all things that are harder to communicate and the ones where you want maybe more highly skilled people in the door and, So saying that random college student over here or somebody who's in community college that might be interested in journalism, that you can have a full time job in the military with great benefits and that might be a harder market to crack on the civilian side. Same with things like the, the band. You know, it's hard to be employed as a trumpeter, for example, but you can you can do that full time in the military.
0: Emma's expert advice helps dispel some of the traditional, stereotypical thinking on why people decide to join the military. But we wanted to go beyond the data to get a more personal look.
1: That's why we reached out to an incoming freshman here at the University of Chicago, who happens to be a 10-year Navy veteran, Katie Puckett.
9: So I joined the Navy in 2009 when I was 25 years old, and I ended up becoming a cryptologic linguist. My language was Arabic which was a really interesting uh, thing that I never expected I would learn ever at any point in my life. Uh, I also became air crew, so I flew on missions all over the world. I deployed to Afghanistan, and I did a lot of um, deployments in the Mediterranean as well. After that, I did a tour at Great Lakes Naval Base, where I worked with young sailors as an instructor, teaching them about life skills.
0: We tried to get her to talk more about her deployments, but a lot of what she did was classified.
9: Well, <laughs> Were you like just um, like just like like, so like
1: processing like so, in, well
9: in air or uh we use a lot of equipment communications okay, equipment sure. okay. um and we just do various tasks yeah. using that equipment while on an okay, aircraft okay yeah <laughs> right. Got it. but Got she it. could
1: share other parts of her story like her reasons for joining
9: so yeah I went to Auburn University because I grew up in the South and in the South it's not a lot of people like hey you should go to Harvard or Princeton. You know, they're like, hey, which SEC school are you going to? Are you going to Alabama? You can go to Auburn or how about Georgia? Um, join a sorority, you know, meet your husband at a frat party, that kind of thing. Uh, and that just really wasn't my path, you know. I kind of knew that going into it, but I did what any good girl from Alabama does, and I went off to Auburn after my senior year of high school. Uh, when I got there, I did okay my first year, played some lacrosse. Then I started partying a little bit too hard um, and just kind of lost sight of what I what I wanted, what I was doing. So I ended up leaving school and moved back to Huntsville, Alabama with my family. So my dad ended up serving for 30 years. It was 10 active and 20 reserve. And he retired as a captain. He worked in the intel community as an intelligence officer, did a lot of cool stuff. And he always spoke very highly of his time in the Navy. He loved his shipmates. They had all these hilarious stories. Uh, I think my godfather was one of his like best buddies that they they served as young surface warfare officers together uh, in the early in their career. But he loved it. And um, after he retired, I know he kind of always wanted one of his kids to go into the service, but neither of my brothers did. And... Kind of ended up on me after those, you know, poor life choices I had made.
0: She also discussed the recruitment process.
9: That was actually a recruiter's dream. Uh, I basically just walked in and said, sign me up, uh, which obviously they didn't have to do much work, which was great for them. How that normally works, though, is they'll go to high schools. um, They'll make visits to like community colleges. They'll get out at various events in the community the recruiters who are at the local recruiting stations, and they'll try to get kids interested. Hey, have you considered service as opposed to college? Or hey, we can get you through college if you wanna serve. So my dad had always spoken very highly of his uh, times in the Navy with his shipmates and all the places he traveled. He had incredible stories, Uh, made some of the best friends of his life. So I kinda had that sort of optimistic outlook going into it. I knew I would make friends and travel and it would be an adventure. However, on the other side of things, I don't think I really had formed a comprehensive picture of what day-to-day life in the military would be like. I I vaguely understood that there would be a lot of physical training. I might learn some new skills and I might travel the world, but I wasn't really sure of what that would look like through the lens of an an everyday experience. Um, So I didn't really have too many expectations, just really that this is a good opportunity for me to get out of the rut I'm in.
1: Initially... Katie wanted to join the intelligence community in the Navy, but she ended up becoming a cryptologic technician and training as a
9: linguist instead. Yeah, so when you join the Navy as an enlisted person, you have this ASVAB, right? The Armed Services uh, Vocational Aptitude Battery. Uh, and it's basically like kind of a almost like an SAT test, but a little easier, I think. Um, and it, it shows what kind of aptitude you'd have for, say, like mechanical or verbal or... Um, you get what I'm saying, like electrical. And so it kind of gives the Navy an idea of what jobs you might be best suited for. And luckily, I scored really high. Um, I actually bought a study guide because (laughs) I was already 25, you know, and a lot of the other people who take this test were like fresh out of high school. And I was like, I couldn't do a math problem right now, you know, like algebra if you paid me. So I got a little study guide and did it for a couple weeks after my part-time job at a hotel um, and I got like a really great score so they basically gave me my choice of job and I my dad had worked in Intel so I said I want to be an intelligence specialist And they said, Well, we don't have any openings for that. It's gonna be at least a year. And I was like, Well, I'm 25. I can't just sit around for a year waiting to get this job. So, what else do you got? You know? So, they gave me literally a binder, like a three ring binder full of these laminated sheets that just gave you a job description. It said where you would go, what the training would be like, and like what your life would be like which of course is a very, very glossy um, sort of presentation of the future life you're going to have, uh, which is very different from those descriptions in reality. But I'm flipping through and I come across a couple different ones. And I remember calling my dad like, dad, they've got this one available. And he's like, Oh, don't do that. That one's for weirdos, you know, (laughs) or "Oh, don't do that. You're going to be just sitting around picking your nose, you know, I'm like, Okay, well, I don't want to do this or that. So I came across linguist. Um, And it's called a CTI. It stands for Cryptologic Technician Interpretive. Uh, And I saw that you get to go to Monterey for a long time and study language and travel the world and do some really cool technical stuff. So I thought I'd give it a try.
0: Katie also pointed out how she met all kinds of people in the military. And their reasons for enlisting weren't always the same.
9: And I met all kinds of people. I mean, I knew people that had three degrees and some of them had master's degrees, but they really wanted to go to the Defense Language Institute. Um, they wanted more education. They wanted travel and financial hardship. I, you know, I joined in 2009, which was right after the financial crash in 2008. So a lot of people were hurting financially. We didn't really have the means to push forward doing things we wanted to do. So we had to look at an alternative option, which was the military But I met people that were brilliant, you know, um, educated as well as people who came from less educated backgrounds and lower socioeconomic demographics. You know, um, there's people from every walk of life who enlist in the military.
0: We'll be hearing more from Katie about her time in the military, as well as the transition afterwards in later episodes. But there's one more part of Katie's story we wanted to share today. Katie noted how she was hesitant to come to UChicago because she wasn't sure how she would fit in socially. But she found the undergrad community here to be really welcoming.
9: When I was about to start on the campus, right, I was coming to the University of Chicago as an incoming first year. It was very scary. You know, I'm 35 years old. I just spent 10 years of my life in the Navy. And like we said before, there can be a bit of a disconnect between you and the civilian sector because they just don't, always know what you've been through and it's not their fault you know it's just there is a lack of there's a divide there so um I was really scared that I wouldn't be accepted I was really scared that these young people who are some of the brightest people I've ever met like highly intelligent it's amazing I was really intimidated that they wouldn't accept me as peers that I would be sort of like a social outcast I was really wrong luckily um I did a pre-orientation program uh, called Campus Crew where I got to be part of a team with like 16 other incoming students and we had a couple of uh, fourth years, you know, they're finishing up here at UChicago kind of as our crew captains and we just spent the week sort of driving golf carts around and helping with logistics and moving luggage and, you know, but at night they would help us do these amazing programs. We'd go see improv or we'd go to the Cubs game or and we really built this close-knit sense of camaraderie and that actually was a parallel to my my navy experience you know being in a group of people having a common goal to work together through kind of an extensive period of time you know like a week long all day every day with these people that's pretty intense so um i love these people i mean you know we kind of joke that i'm the cool aunt (laughs) because i'm not like quite their parents really just great experience i was very much welcome to campus and now I'll be walking just to the library in between classes, and I'll hear someone say, "Katie," and you know, I'll turn around, and there's like one of these kids, and they're like introducing me to their friends, and they come up and hug me, and it's just a really incredible experience to feel welcomed here.
0: One of the undergrads we talked to on campus had actually heard of this group that was part of her incoming freshman class.
9: What kind of
1: people uh, do you think join the military?
7: Um well at first i used to think it was people who just wanted to serve their country they were like extra patriotic mm-hmm. or they weren't that good at school but then there were some people <laughs> who joined um you know the 10 i think it's 10 veterans that are in our in the class of 2023 one of them was in the prio and he just joined to serve his country
1: it seems like the university of chicago has really tried to include veteran perspectives especially in the freshman class of 2023 and just as these veterans are learning new things at a civilian institution, their civilian counterparts have the opportunity to learn from them and their experiences. Here in Hyde Park, we're seeing some bridging of the civil-military divide. Thank you for joining us today on Thank You For Your Service. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at tyfys_podcast, And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll get our next episode as soon as it's released.
0: Thank you for your service is produced by Tommy Latanzio and Ashwarya Kumar. Additional editing and production support came from Bobby Maxwell and Michelle Tran. Our publisher is Haziano. Special thanks to Emma Moore, Katie Puckett, Morgan Wade, and the students who braved the cold to answer our informal survey questions. We record here at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago.
1: Thank you for your service as a production of the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts, and does not necessarily represent the official positions of the Department of Defense or the U.S. government. I'm Nick Paraiso. And I'm
0: Thomas Krasnation. See you next time.